Good to see you all. Good to be here again this evening. Appreciate uh, all of your participation in all activities this week. It's been a fantastic week thus far for us and and appreciate the invitation extended by your elders to come and to be a part of the speaking part of these services as well this week. I led you astray, Brother Matt. I Due to some technical difficulties, I had a swap on the sermon. So we're going to look at Manoah tonight as opposed to Esther. You're going to get Esther before the weekend's over, but my PowerPoint, uh, something happened. So I'm going to have to solve it. Uh, so we're going to talk about Manoah tonight. And uh, if you would like, you might uh, turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 13. While you do that, I'd like you to remember Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4 that says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And I want to tell you there's a lot of great things in the Old Testament and we've been trying all week long to take some of the things out of the Old Testament, learn some lessons from the Old Testament and to be able to take those lessons and apply them to our current walk in our uh, Christian life. And I hope that that's beneficial to you. And I, I want you to know the story but also want you to be able to make application to it as well. Tonight I want to talk about Manoah. Uh, and let's go to Judges chapter 13, uh, and we're going to take a look and, and read this chapter, first of all. Uh, Judges chapter 13. The children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the land delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and she bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, or eat any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. And no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall deliver, or begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God, very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told me his, he his name. And he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine, nor strong drink, nor neither eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again to us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as he sat in the field, or as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the man came, hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said unto him, Art thou the man that spakest unto the woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child and how shall we do unto him? And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. She may not eat of anything that cometh of the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I command her, let her observe. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we shall have made ready a kid for thee. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. And if thou would offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. For 
Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name, that when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor? And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered upon a rock unto the Lord, and the angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on. And it came to pass when the flame flame went up toward heaven from off the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we had seen God. But his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he should not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither should he have showed us all these things, nor would as at this time have told us such as uh, such things as these. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. So first of all, one of the things I want you to take from this is just simply who is the character of Manoah? Manoah and his wife were the parents of Samson. Uh, And we read a lot of times about Samson being that strong individual and the story of Samson and Delilah, etc. But I want to go to kind of the more obscure story of his parents. Manoah and his wife were in a situation where they were looking and saying, we can't even have any children. And and here came an angel of the Lord to them and and told them that you're going to have this opportunity to have this child and there's going to be some certain things that are required of you. And I want to talk to you a little bit from a context tonight of the family of faith. And to define a few terms just to get you started, the Danites is mentioned early in the story. And that basically is just showing you that it's from the the tribe of Dan, one of those 12 tribes of Israel. And you can see here on the PowerPoint, it would be this area right next to the Mediterranean Sea. They were basically Danites. They came from the tribe of Dan is all that's simply being mentioned in that particular instance. And then Zorah is mentioned early on in this chapter as well. And that's simply a place in the land of Palestine as well. Um, so let's look and, and review a little bit. Judges chapter 13 and verse number 2. Uh, they've got this problem. Manoah and his wife, she's barren. That They don't have any children. Wanting to have children, apparently. And I just want you to notice very simply that sometimes when all hope fades and you say, well, it's just impossible and it just can't be done, God brings blessing. And he did in this case. The angel of the Lord came and in verse number 5 and said, For lo, thou shalt conceive even bear a son. When when all hope was lost, they thought it's just impossible. It's not going to happen anymore. We need to be careful in our life a lot of times about saying something can't happen, can't ever happen because guess what? Sometimes when all hope fades, that's when blessings sometimes come our way. So we want to be careful about that. Secondly, this child, uh, from the aspect of Manoah and his wife, they're being blessed with this child. They make a decision that they're going to dedicate that child to God and dedicate uh, him to the service. And in verse number 7 we read that uh, uh, Manoah is saying unto me, Behold thou shalt conceive, or she's talking about the angel, and bear a son, and now drink no wine or, or a strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. 
He's going to be dedicated to be a Nazarite. He's going to take that Nazarite vow, which included the, you know, the shaving of the head and all of those sort of things that was going to take place. And he said, all of those things related, he's going to be dedicated to the service of God. I don't want you to drink any wine. I don't want you to do any of those things. This child's going to be a Nazarite from the day of his womb to the day of his death. One of the things I'd like to encourage you to do, and especially young parents, when you decide to have children or have children or the blessing of children comes your way, that you make a decision very early. We're going to dedicate these children to God. We're going to dedicate our family to God from the day of their birth to the day of their death. We're going to dedicate them to the service of God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's a responsibility that's been laid at the feet of fathers to bring up children. And I'd like you to just notice the word there, bring, is an action. It's going to require effort. It's not just allow them to come up in the name of the Lord, but it's to bring them up in the name of the Lord. And there's a difference in those two statements. There's a responsibility that's been given to young parents to uh, dedicate their children to God. And Manoah and his wife, in dedicating their children to God, also sought out answers on how to do that. I'd like to spend just a moment for you to consider the importance of doing that. They wanted to learn to parent. Manoah came and asked this question in verse number 12 of the chapter we read. said, now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child? Have you ever asked that as a young parent? The young parents that's in the crowd. Have you ever asked the question, God, how do we order the child? What kind of things do we need to teach the child? What kind of things do we need to direct? And what paths do we need to direct them? Help us with the, with the planning and direction and, and instruction. How do we make these decisions? And young people, I'd like to say to you when you take on a family and you start raising children that you ask the question how do we order the child you know a lot of times people simply don't know maybe they came from very back uh, backgrounds that were very difficult and or struggling in in the family life that they came in and they honestly don't know how is it that we can dedicate them to god what kind of things do we need to do how do we order the child that's a great question to ask And I'd encourage you to ask that question as well. In verse number 12, Manoah said, Let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child and how shall we do unto him? What kind of things do we need to do to help him grow up and be dedicated to this cause of God as well? Great questions to ask. You know one thing that's always amazed me? Is the number of times we compare as a society, as a culture, a lot of times we continue to repeat the same cycle of sometimes things that are not productive in raising children. We make the same decisions generation after generation that it would not take us very long if we would look around and ask the question, how do we order the child? We might find out that that's probably not the best approach to parenting. I was doing a Bible study one time. I'll tell you what I mean. I was doing a Bible study one time and and very early in the study, very young couple, they had their first child and they looked at me and they said, we've made a decision in our parenting. We're going to do things a lot different than our parents did. We're not going to give this child any boundaries at all. No boundaries at all. And we're going to do something different, something that's never been done before. And we're going to let this child freely express himself, you know, and we're just not going to give any boundaries. Matt loves this. And because Matt knows the end of the story, it doesn't take you very long to think through the end of the story. It was the second Bible study I went on that the child was missing half his first tooth. 
And you say, well, what happened? Say, well, the child jumped off the back of the couch. And then the parent said, so now we've decided that it's not okay for them to jump off the back of the couch. So now the child has boundaries. All of a sudden, there's, you know, the reality is the parent should have been sharp enough to begin with and would have saved their ch- half of their child's first new tooth if they would have recognized the potential danger to begin with and given boundaries to the child. The child needs boundaries. Most children want boundaries, to be honest with you. Most children know they're loved when they have boundaries. And I will tell you as parents, it's real easy for us sometimes to get caught up in current culture and and let's try something new that's never been tried before. But what I'd encourage you to do, first of all, is look to the Word of God. What is it that we need to do? How is it that we need to order the child? And then secondly, I would encourage you to even do something that sometimes is even more obvious than that. Look around you and see what works and doesn't work. Ask parents that have been there before and say, you know, if you were going to do this again, what would you do different? You know, where did you make mistakes? What were good things that you did? What were bad things that you did? Lisa and I are very quick to share with young parents one of our, uh, we made more than this, but one of our what we call colossal parenting errors. I'm going to tell you all this because I want you to know as young parents, one of our colossal parenting errors unlimited texting now I know if you're a young person you're going oh no that's not an error as a parent that's that's the greatest thing in the world that's what we need I will tell you looking back on raising our children one of the biggest mistakes we made was I bought into the children's begging of unlimited texting And let me tell you part of the reason why that was a colossal mistake for us in parenting is years ago when Lisa and I were dating each other or seeing each other or whatever you call it nowadays and we were holding hands with each other and we wanted to go out to the movies together we wanted to do what it was that Lisa and I did back in those days. We stood in the living room attached to a telephone that had a cord on it and the cord was attached to the wall and you couldn't go anywhere and your conversation was done right smack in the middle of the living room in front of everybody. That's the way we had conversations back then. And nowadays there's a real temptation for young people to take texting and they go back into the bedroom and at 2 o'clock in the morning they're texting somebody rather than doing what it is they need to be doing at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I'll tell you young people, if you really want texting and you want your parents to give you texting, you probably ought to be mature with your texting and realize that it's not about secrecy and it's not about what you can do around the corner. It's about communication and then I would recommend you let your parents see your communication and communicate with your parents about what it is you're doing. Because I can tell you from Lisa's of my perspective, looking back over the last 20 plus years, one of our biggest mistakes was saying, yeah, let's just put unlimited texting on our plan. That's a good plan. Let's do something. Now, I'm going to defend ourselves a little bit. Is We didn't grow up in a generation of texting. We were kind of doing this thing along the way. You know, all this technology came in. When Lisa and I first married, we didn't have cell phone technology. and We didn't have internet capability. And every research paper I did in college, I typed on a typewriter and I measured margins for the research paper. It's a different world today than it was then. And I can tell you, Lisa and I are having to adjust to that different world and that different culture and we're having to somewhat stay ahead of that curve when we're raising children but as you very well know most of y'all know very well that children a lot of times are way ahead of you on that curve as a parent because you guys understand the technology a lot more than mom and dads do but with that comes responsibility 
And I will tell you as a mom and dad, I would recommend to you to ask the questions. Ask it of older folks that have been around, that have been married 50 years or whatever, and raised children. And, and you've seen folks that have done it successfully. You've seen folks that where families bonded together. What is it that helped you guys bond together? What did y'all do? And it's not simplistic as one answer, but pick people's brain. Sit down with people who have done it before. Maybe sit down with folks that have made some mistakes along the way and say, what mistakes did you make and how did how did the mistakes happen and why did you make the mistakes? And maybe as older folks, you ought to be willing to share some of those mistakes or some of those good things as well. Because it's a great question to ask as a young adult or young married couple or young parents to say, how do we order the child and how shall we do unto him? How do we make those decisions in life? What kind of decisions do we need to make? I want you to notice an Old Testament passage that says, You'll teach your, uh, your children, speaking to them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Thou shalt write upon the doorpost of thine house, upon the gates, that your days may be multiplied in the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. Several things about this verse I'd like you to notice is the responsibility of Manoah and his wife to learn to parent. Okay? So there's several things. If you were asking the question, how do we how do we order the child and how should we do unto them? Look at the Old Testament passage. First of all, he says, teach your children. Secondly, he said, spend time with your children. You're speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. There's a lot of time invested in the process of that uh, raising of children. Repetition was involved in that. Write it upon the doorpost of thine house and upon the gates. Write down the laws of God. Write down the words of God. Remind yourself of it when you see it day in and day out, early in the morning, late at night, whatever it is. Spend time in those things. How do we order the child? Spend some time in God's Word. See, Proverbs 29 and verse number 15, this young couple that said we're going to try to do something different that's never been done before I just want to tell you it's been done in fact the book of Proverbs talked about it in verse chapter 29 and verse number 15 the rod and reproof give wisdom but a child left to himself shall bring his mother shame I want to tell you a child doesn't need to be left to himself a child needs boundaries now the boundaries change but when a child is two years old you give him boundaries you put him or maybe six months old you put him in a crib When he's two years old, you start gating off the doors of the living room. You provide boundaries for the child. You don't want the child out in the street counting mufflers. It's not a good plan. So you give them boundaries. And when they turn 13, those boundaries may stretch a little bit, but the reality is they're still boundaries. The child needs to know this is appropriate. That's not appropriate. We're not going here. We are going to do this. This is the way, like Yancey talked about today, in in your home, a system of morality. These are the things... These are the way, this is the way we're going to talk in this house. This is, these are the things we're going to do in this house. And you create boundaries. When a child's 18, his boundaries may be broader than when he's 13. Or when he's 16, he starts driving. But he still needs boundaries. Maybe it's to come in at 10 o'clock or call or be home before 11 or whatever those boundaries are. But I'll tell you, when your parents are giving you boundaries, your parents are giving you boundaries because they love you, care for you. There's not another person... Now, I can't say that there's not evil parents out there because there are. But I will tell you it's really, 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 really rare to have an evil parent. 
So unless you're sitting there going, I have the most evil parents in the world, I will tell you there's not anybody loves you any more than your parents. There's no one loves you any more than your parents. And I can tell you there's a lot of people in this room that love you guys, especially these young folks that's in the crowd and and love you and want to see good things from you. But I can promise you there's nobody loves you any more than your parents. We had a little episode... In one of our children's upbringing, I'll leave her name. You'll know it's one of four. But uh, but she was in conflict with her mother over some particular decision to go somewhere and do something. And her mother was saying, no, you are not going and no, you're not going to do. I just don't understand why in the world I can't do and why I can't go and why you wouldn't trust me to all that sort of stuff. Let me tell you, there's some things Lisa knew that that child did not know. There was some things Lisa knew that Lisa could not discuss with that child. There's some things Lisa knew that could be of danger to that child. And there was no reason Lisa had to explain all of the details of what Lisa knew. But I will tell you, your parents love you. And my speech to her that day when I walked in the bedroom and there was conflict going on, was I looked at daughter and said, look at her. Look at your mother. There is no one loves you any more than your mother. No one. When your mother is saying no to you, it's because she loves you and cares for you. She is not, there's nobody wants to hurt you. I'm not claiming parents don't make mistakes from time to time. Maybe make a mistake in judgment from time to time. But I'll tell you, generally, if it's a mistake, it's a mistake because they love you. They care for you. There's nobody loves you like your parents. They want good things for you. A lot of times they're protecting you. Sometimes maybe they're overprotecting you, but they're protecting you. They don't want you to get hurt. And they don't in any way, form, or fashion want you to get in a situation that will hurt you in some way. Or you end up making a decision that will hurt you in some way. They're trying to protect you from those things. They're trying to protect you from you sometimes. Okay? Your parents love you. They care for you. And it's great as young parents to recognize the fact that it's not good to just let a child uh, or allow a child or just open up with no barriers or no bonds or no boundaries or there's no responsibility whatsoever. That's not good parenting. Good parenting is how shall we order the child? How shall we do unto him? And like Proverbs said, a child that's left to himself is going to bring his mother to shame. It's not good. If you've got a parent that just lets you go do anything you want to go do, you need to grow up in a hurry and recognize that's not good for you. It's not good for you to just go do anything at any given time. You need to be able to respect your parents, even if you disagree with them. Even if your parents say no and you think you should, you ought to be able to sit there and go, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir, I understand. You love me. You care for me. And recognize that those decisions are made because of love. Another thing I want you to notice about Manoah and his wife is they've, they've been given this child... A blessing to them when it when they felt like they didn't have any chance of a blessing. Uh, they wanted to dedicate this son to God. They were even asking, how do we do that? How do we learn to parent? But another thing they were doing immediately was they wanted to offer a sacrifice. They wanted to worship. And that's pretty interesting to me too, isn't it? And what a great decision for young parents. What a great decision for a young couple to say, we're going to have children and one of the things we're going to do is we're going to take them to church. One of the things we're going to do is we're going to offer praise to God for the children. One of the things we're going to do is we're going to worship. We're going to worship God and praise God for what He's done for us. We find that in Judges chapter 13 that we read verse number 15. Uh, Manoah said to the angel, Lord, I pray thee let us detain thee until we have made it ready a kid for thee. Now he, he thought it was God. 
God. He didn't know that was an angel at the time. And of course, the angel came back with a response. Uh, Manoah took a kid for a meat offering and ended up offering it upon a rock unto the Lord and not to the angel himself because the angel said, don't do that. I'm an angel of the Lord and you don't need to know my name. It's secret and all that sort of stuff. But you don't need to be worshiping me. You don't need to be offering a sacrifice to me. You offer a sacrifice to the Lord. You know, Revelation chapter 5, verse number 11, gives a beautiful picture of thousands of folks praising God that are around the throne of the Lord because He's the one that's worthy of being praised. Christ is worthy of being praised. God is worthy of being praised. Look at Revelation 5 verse number 11. I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches and wisdom, strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and and unto the Lamb forever and ever and the four beasts said Amen and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever and I want to tell you there's going to come time all of our knee is going to bow and we're going to give thanks and praise to God there will be thousands and thousands that are around the throne of God praising him he's worthy to be praised he's worthy of glory he's worthy of honor All of those things. But I will tell you, it's only God that needs to be praised. It's only God that needs to be worshipped. And I want to show you a couple of examples mentioned in Scripture that angels were not to be worshipped. You may remember when John got the letter of the revelation or got the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and wrote it down. Um, John, or Judges chapter 13 and verse number 60, the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread, but if thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it to the Lord. You can't worship an angel. Don't, don't back down. Don't offer a sacrifice to an angel. Notice in Revelations chapter 19 and verse number 10 that John, who got the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I fell at his feet to worship him. The angel came and gave him the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and John's natural response was to bow down and worship him. He was going to worship the angel. But I want you to notice the next phrase. He said unto them, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. And then he said, Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Worship God. That's what the Spirit told John. That's what, or excuse me, the angel told John. He said, don't fall down and worship me. I'm just a fellow servant like you are. You need to be worshiping God. I want you to notice in Acts chapter 10, you may remember the story of Cornelius and Cornelius' conversion. Peter gets a vision and comes over to the household of Cornelius. We pick up the story in Acts 10 and verse number 25. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. He wanted to worship Peter for coming and bringing the gospel to him. And you remember in verse number 26 that Peter said unto him, Stand up, I myself also am a man. Don't worship a man. Don't worship an angel. Who are we supposed to be worshiping? We're supposed to be worshiping God. Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 10. Then said Jesus said to them, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. It's only God that needs to be worshiped. But I will tell you as a young parent, as a young folks that's having children and raising children, one of the greatest decisions you can make is to worship God. But be careful what it is you're worshiping. Because we spend a lot of time at the altar of play. 
We spend a lot of time worshiping things that take up a lot of our times. It may not necessarily be God. And I just want to tell you, worship the Lord thy God and Him only shalt thou serve. One of the greatest decisions you can make as a family, as a young family. Manoah and his wife even recognized the fact that God could not be seen. They even mentioned it there in Judges chapter 13 verse number 20, uh, 22. They said, we're going to die because we've seen God in the process of this. Not recognizing at the time that it was an angel as well. Exodus chapter 33, you remember uh, Moses said, "Thou canst, or he, God told Moses, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. That they could not see the face of God. And that really scared Manoah and his wife, because they knew God couldn't be seen, and they wanted to make sure that ultimately it was an angel but that wasn't who they were offering sacrifice to it wasn't who they were worshipping they were worshipping God it was an angel that they actually had seen then we get to the end of the story of Manoah and Samson's born and that begins a new story in in the history and a lot of that story about Samson and his great strength and Delilah and the cutting of his hair and the pushing of the pillars over and the temple you know and all that destruction that took place etc that story of Samson all started because there was a child that was going to be dedicated to the Lord and it started with his parents. And I just want you for a moment tonight to consider the importance of parenting, the importance of ordering a child, the importance of making decisions. How shall we do unto him? In what way shall we direct his steps? Making decisions to worship God together as a family, a family of faith, and making those decisions. The story of Samson would have never happened had he not had Manoah and his wife making those decisions to be the kind of parents that God would have them be. Are you here tonight in need of your family making a decision to serve God? I want to tell you, you need to take an example from Manoah and his wife to make a decision to serve God. Make a decision for your family. We use the, the story a lot of times there and where uh, the passage says, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. That Joshua stand there in Joshua 24 and verse number 15. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. As a young family today, do you make that commitment and that dedication? I've been to some weddings recently where the young bride or the young group would stand and make an affirmation before a company of witnesses as for me and my house we'll serve the Lord can you make that commitment can you ask God how do we order the child how shall we do to them tonight's the best time to make that decision to say my husband my wife I, us we as a family we're going to make a decision we're serving God we're going to raise our children we're going to we're going to serve God together we're going to be a family of faith Maybe you're one of the younger ones tonight. Maybe you tonight can make that momentous decision that says, regardless of anything else, I recognize the fact my parents love me, care for me, and etc. And I'm going to make a decision that I'm going to be the kind of child that I should be. I'm going to be the kind of uh, adolescent that I should be. I'm going to be the kind of young person that I should be because I want God pleased with me. And I'm going to be yes sir and yes ma'am. And I'm going to be the kind of child that makes a parent proud because I'm going to be obedient to the will of God. We sing a song that says, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You have an opportunity 
tonight in whatever your situation to say I'm going to trust in God I'm going to trust in his plan I'm going to trust in his word I'm going to trust in his direction I'm going to trust in the way that he's taught me in his word and I'm going to be obedient to him sometimes even if I don't feel like it I'm going to obey it because I trust in the end that he's got the better plan for me he's got the direction that will help my family and strengthen my family God bless you in your decision tonight as we stand and sing the song that's been selected